Good morning, just barely, and, and thanks so much for joining us for, as you'll see, Framing the Family, Personal Documentary and Mental Health. It's um, my pleasure to be chairing this session. I'm Richard Warden, the film curator for the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival, and also film lead for the Mental Health Foundation. And um, before we go any further, I want to introduce the panelists. Um, just, on, I'll go in the order that I have, rather than the order that they've, they've sat down in. That's absolutely fine. That's, that's my fault. I should have arranged them <laughs> more, more <laughs> along my lines here. But um, two over from me, I have, um, or, or sorry, one, is um, Lucy Rachel, who is the director of Where We Are Now. Um, this is a film that won the Documentary Award at the Forbes Short Film Festival. It also won Best Scottish Short at the Scottish Queer International Film Festival, and it's still very much making its way around the festival circuit. Um, beside to Lucy's right, we have Teresa Mormon Ibb, who is the director of The Third Dad. This film was the winner of a BAFTA Scotland New Talent Award. It was the Best UK Short at London's East End Film Festival. And it was also recently a Vimeo staff pick, Vimeo, the online viewing platform, and it's racked up almost 400,000 views there, which is wonderful. And um, to my immediate right, I have Karen Guthrie, who is the director of The Closer We Get. Among other awards that the film has won, it was the Best UK Film at the Open City Documentary Festival, Best International Feature at Toronto's Hot Docs, which is a very prestigious documentary festival, and I like to think most impressively, it was the Best Feature Documentary at the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival in 2015. And then finally, to um, the very far right there, we have Floor Cosquer, who is Project Manager and Producer at the Scottish Documentary Institute. We've worked with the Scottish Documentary Institute a lot, and so the people here on the panel. Um, Floor has produced and also been crucially involved with countless, I think it's fair to say at this point, <laughs> I couldn't count them, <laughs> films, um, including Where We Are Now and The Third Dad, which both came out of the SDI's Bridging the Gap scheme. So I'll just quickly tell you the plan for this session, which lasts an hour. Um, we're going to play uh, about seven minutes of clips from the uh, filmmakers' three films here, or three of their films here. Um, and I'm just going to play them right through rather than stopping and starting. I'm then going to ask each filmmaker to say a few words about the impact of making intensely personal work on not just themselves, but also those close to them. I'll ask a few questions in that section as well. I'm going to ask Floor to offer her observations from working with filmmakers um, on work that's both self and family reflective. Um, I have a few more questions after that, but uh, what I hope to do for the last half hour is to pretty much get out of the way, let the panelists um, explore this themselves and respond to your comments and questions. I mean, you know, there, there are tips for uh, filmmakers established and uh, budding in the room, but also, I mean, I think there are, in fact, I'm sure there are uh, life tips um, that will come out of this session as well. So um, at this point, I would like to roll the film, film clips, please. It was difficult because I felt uncomfortable in who I was. I found it uncomfortable to react with other members of the family. We never really had a strong connection when I was younger. You were quite solitary in your office all the time. While you were there physically, it sometimes felt like you weren't completely present. You've withdrawn who you are, and there's nothing that replaces that. It's like a void, really. 
there was always something about you that I couldn't quite read or couldn't quite work out and definitely when you did come out it felt like something shifted into its right mm. place for me anyway well I, I was having to be guarded um I didn't like it um it got to the point where I had to tell you with a sort of better or worse attitude you know I was hoping that things would be okay because um no parents want wants to lose their daughters Das letzte Jahr, ähm, das ich mit Ihnen versprochen habe, war im ungefähr 2004. Ich habe immer zu ihm gesagt, nimm Kontakt auf. Jetzt gehst du mal hin und dann guckst du, wo deine Tochter ist. Du hast ja Zeit genug, um mit ihr irgendwie mal Luxemburg kennenzulernen. Haben Sie das gemacht? Ich habe das mindestens 20 Mal zu ihm gesagt. Aber Käse war Käse. Und man kann das nicht ändern. Und Sie können das auch nicht ändern. I didn't go to your funeral, but now I have to find you. Even though you're just a shadow, an outline I can never color back in. I still need a dad. You're not the one I wanted. Or the one I needed, but you're the only one I have. the centre of our family galaxy for so long that we'd stopped feeling our gravity. But it was always there, however distantly. Her stroke set us all adrift without the one person who would have guided us through it safely. Her. Doctors couldn't put Mum back together again. So we brought her back home, to where she belonged, hoping she's forgotten all that she's lost, but knowing that we can't. And now there's somehow everything 
and nothing to do here. It's a strange kind of busyness. Maybe I've just invented it to keep the grief at the back of my mind, which it does most of the time. I know Mum would understand if she knew, because it's just what she'd do herself. Waiting in the wings as the crisis unfolded was my brother Mark. When things seemed to go awry for him a few years ago, he drifted back to Mum, and now the tables have turned. My dad Ian is the hub of home life now, but things aren't quite how they look. Just like me, he's new around here. It's 15 years since he and mum split up. That's quite tasty, mum, is it? Yeah? yeah, good. Then, just when we'd all got used to this new normal, he quietly, without much fuss, moved back in, upstairs. No one asked why or how long he planned to stay. It's just our family way not to. Not your pudding, yeah? Yes. Yogurt and banana and a tongue and pineapple. Lovely. No camera, just action. Um, so the uh, length of the clips uh, reflects the uh, lengths of the um, films in that uh, where we are now and The Third Dad are short films and The Closer We Get is a feature length film. I have um, two disclosures, um, well, actually three when it comes down to it, um, before um, I continue. One uh, is that I produced The Third Dad and I'm also Teresa's partner. <laughs> so um, I like to think that's not a conflict of interest, but actually in this situation, it's an experience providing invaluable insight and also it was the inspiration for this session. Um, my uh, second disclosure is that I almost called this session Daughtermentary. And now I know that's sort of too clever by half, and, and you'll agree that I made the right decision to go with framing the family. Um, now, Lucy, I just want to ask you first to tell us a bit about your experience with where we are now, and I'll have some supplementary questions. Lucy. Um, so my film is about my changing relationship with my parent as she started to transition. Um, it was one of the Bridging the Gap films, and uh, when we started, it was a very different film to the one that came out of it. Uh, we ended up, I think this is one of the things that happens with personal documentaries. You end up having a lot of different films that could come out of it, and you might end up editing quite a few. And, uh, and then you have to choose the one that works, and we edited quite a few of them. And um, yeah, chose the best one that we thought came out of it. Um, but it was definitely a struggle, especially when it's so personal and you're trying to get feedback and criticism and either people don't want to necessarily offend you because it's so personal or, I don't know, yeah. No, no I, I should have asked about your experiences with um, 
personal portrait and also portraits of, 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 of family, given that you've, you've made another film about your family, at least one that, that, I, that I know of. And um, you know, but, so you've gone back a few times. Is that, that something you'll, you'll do again, or are you, are you finished with your family, Lucy? Um, I think I'm finished with film with my family. Right. Um, I have, uh, I'm an artist, so I don't just make film. I do photography and photo books and things. And before I made this one, I made a film about my parents' relationship and a book that went with it. So I think that if I revisit this family dynamic again, it would be in the form of a photo book that is less invasive and more, I don't know, has more time span to it, more durational. Well, that, that's maybe an appropriate moment to move over to Teresa because um, she's also um, an artist who works in uh, various media. And uh, Teresa, um, Floor knows, I know, um, <laughs> not everyone else here knows what the process was like for you. Could you inform us a bit about that? Yeah, well, I can just start by telling briefly what the, um, the film deals with. And it's um, my dad was an alcoholic. Um, and uh, my parents split up when I was 10 years old and went back and forth in their relationship um, throughout my teens. And then in my 20s, I decided to cut off contact with my dad because he was um, drinking too much and it was affecting me and my mental health. And um, that was obviously a really difficult decision and it wasn't one that I thought was going to be permanent in any way. I thought we just probably need some time and someday we'll figure something out until I was told that he was in a coma um, because he had cirrhosis. And at that point I had to decide what I was going to do, whether I was going to see him or not. And I couldn't make that decision. It was just, I just, yeah, it was just too difficult for me at that point. And he ended up passing away and I didn't know what had happened to him. Um, and for eight years I just spent um, time thinking about having not seen him and not knowing what had happened to him, and so I decided to make this film, and the film is about me finding um, out what happened, or to find his grave. Um, so yeah, that was, um, I would say that was quite a, quite a mouthful um, to, to start, and I don't think, like, initially when I set out to do it, um, like Lucy says, you don't really know when you start to make a personal film, you have an idea of where you're going, but so many things happen along the way, and for me, um, I just, I didn't, I was quite confident going into it and thinking this is a good story, this is something that I need to work through anyway, so, you know, um, but I, do, I don't think I had any clue what impact that was going to have on me and people around me, and um, both positive and, and, um, and difficult. <laughs> well, well my, my follow-up question was, um, why did you take on such heavy material to start with as your first film? <laughs> and the answer is, you didn't know what you were getting into, did you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, well, my work has always been um, based on autobiography in a way, and I'm really interest, interested in um, confessional art and confessional poetry, um, that kind of thing. So it was always a natural way for me to approach work, and so it seemed like the most natural thing in the world. But um, yeah, I didn't. I, it was the first film I'd made, so I, there was lots of there was a steep learning curve there. But also, just not realizing that when you choose something that um, that difficult and you're going to portray it on film, what what does that mean? Um, in the end, so. Thanks. And Karen, who has I don't want to forget to say this, who has DVDs on sale. 
after this session. I mean, I want to get that out there right now because uh, otherwise you'll have to hear it straight from her and it'll be more of a sales pitch. <laughs> but um, Karen, what, what have you heard that, that from Lucy and Teresa that uh, chimes with you? Um, well, I guess one of the, the, the main things is that you, you don't know what you're getting into hmm. when you start these projects. Um, I mean, I had made three documentaries, feature docs with another director before this but this one felt very, very different. I felt not just alone in the, the responsibility practically of delivering the film, but I just felt like it was my story that I had to reach into myself to get and that only I could do that. I, I couldn't turn to my usual kind of creative collaborators for the same depth of support. I had a great team around me for the closer we get, but it just wasn't the same. So if I had known that I'd be working on it, every day for seven years it's now been. Whether it's conceptually working on the film or just looking at email, I've been working on it for seven years now. So I think we've all had the lifetime that's gone into our film in a way, so we've probably worked on it since birth. But actually realizing the film, I think, takes resources from you that you just, if you knew what they were gonna be in advance, you wouldn't get into it probably. It would just seem too demanding. And it's a map that you don't, you don't have the second page of it's, it's. You sort of start feeling very compelled, I think, and I think we all probably felt that this, this real instinctive compulsion to make the film, and there's probably underlying really deep issues around your kind of psychology about that. You know it's going to sort something out for you. You know you have to do it, but if you had the map, it would be terrifying. So it's sort of. I think most filmmakers that I've spoken to have made these kind of films feel so different by the end of it, you know, that, that it's almost like they've changed, they've put on, they've got a different shell, they've come out of something and they've changed and it's unanticipatable, if that's a word. But that's kind of what's so fa fantastic about it and in the case of my film, because it involved all, a lot of my family, uh, we all feel like that. So that's an extraordinary thing to have gone through. You know, it's like a sort of family therapy, um, albeit a slow and expensive one perhaps. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll stop you now because you're anticipating many of your, my, my, my questions and comments coming up, but, but, but in, in a lovely and, and articulate way. Um, Floor, you've witnessed um, being close to this kind of process um, a good number of times. I mean, do you, I mean, certainly feel free to add any comment that you wish at this point, but also um, I did want to ask, do you see your role as including emotional as well as logistical support? Yes, uh, so we've, um, we are running training programs um, with the Institute and as such we end up commissioning short films. So we have both the role of commissioner and also producer. And I, I think we receive a lot of applications which deal with first person films, um, very personal family related films. Um, and I would say that the first thing we consider is whether or not the person seems at the right stage in their career, because we don't necessarily know them, so we don't know if personally they're at the right stage, but in their career to um, be able to start working on the film with us, because um, as Lucy and, and Teresa can tell you, the workshops we run are quite intensive, 
and we are gently challenging in the sense that of course they are making very personal films so we respect that it's very sensitive matter but at the same time we need to make sure that uh, a really good film is delivered at the end not just for our own satisfaction but also for the filmmaker's satisfaction and I think with personal film there is even more for the filmmakers a duty to make the film they want to make and to make a great, great film. I think there is no other way because um, otherwise the, there is a sense of failure which is unbearable. And as commissioners or producers, our role is to support them, to challenge them and make sure that they end up making the film they wanted to make in the first place. Um, and one thing, maybe we can discuss it a bit later, but I think what we encourage uh, filmmakers who have these type of films to do is to really be schizophrenic. So um, in Lucy and Teresa's case, for instance, um, we kept reminding them there needs to be the Teresa or Lucy filmmaker and the Teresa or Lucy character. And um, it might seem a bit strange, but I think that's the, um, that's the recipe to keep the film on tracks and to keep sane at the same time, to almost be able to talk about yourself at the third person and say, oh no, Teresa should be doing this at this stage. Because otherwise, the, if the filmmaker is too close to their film, it can be very um, affecting and very dangerous. Um, so we're very aware of that and um, we uh, encourage filmmakers to consider this before they start their film. Thanks for, and, and I'll just also quickly ask, I mean, um, there are other um, filmmakers that we could have had up here. Tom Fassert um, is someone that we knew who uh, was the director of A Family Fair, which won best uh, feature doc at the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival last year. Um, Duncan Cowles, who is someone who's worked with the, the Scottish uh, Documentary Institute in a number of ways. But for do, do you see, is, is there anything about um, women um, perhaps being more ready to address this kind of material or not? Do, do you find that at, at all or, or not, not necessarily? Um, not necessarily. I think in Europe and, and um, in North America, for instance, um, it's been quite um, balanced in terms of gender. Men as well as women have explored this family, their family life and, and to the um, same level of detail. I think what is interesting is what is happening maybe in Asia and in the Middle East and the fact that um, it's only been recently that um, filmmakers have been, I don't know, have decided to put, point the camera on themselves just because it felt like the society was evolving in such a way that they felt it was okay. I think in very conservative societies, the act of pointing a camera at yourself, at your family, and revealing family stories in secret is something which is unacceptable. And in that case, strangely enough, um, the first filmmakers who started doing it were men. Um, so, I mean, it's not maybe that's strange, but, um, and, and now I think there is a, in, especially in the Middle East, there's a current, there's a, a lot of filmmakers are working on personal, on personal films. So no, to answer your question, I, I, don't, I don't think so. All it takes is a lot of courage. That's something I'll definitely come back to here. So I just have a few more questions for, for the group here and then uh, we'll, we'll turn it over to you. Um, directors are, always vulnerable in my estimation, and that, that's probably why I became a producer rather than, than a director. I mean, uh, directors are, are I'm, I'm consistently impressed by directors putting themselves out there, and it, we're talking about pretty much literally, in this case here, having themselves on, on the big screen. Um, not only that, you know, your version of 
the stories, and, and we've seen excerpts today. Um, they live forever, and these days they are um, forever um, available. They, they're pretty much instantly available. Um, do you have, this is maybe putting it too harshly, do you have, um, asking Teresa and Lucy and Karen, any regrets, anything about what was in there, what was not in there, and how do you deal with, with that, if, if so? So maybe I'll start with Teresa and move across to Karen. <laughs> Um, that's something I've actually never really thought about. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say there's anything that I regret, like not in the film anyway. Um, I think it just, it ended up being what it had to be based on, like, it was so hard to plan anything. You had a plan for what it was going to be like. I had a plan that I was going to have lots of, like, really beautiful pictures, um, like, all the stuff that I'd filmed and, and, and that wasn't very um, personally trying and that just didn't end up in there. <laughs> I mean, that's not a regret, it's just, that's just how things work out when you sit and edit these things. Um, I think, um, I don't know, any regrets, it would probably just be being, being more prepared for, for how, how this would impact me and, and how it would impact the people who worked with me on the film and um, but it's, it, I don't know if you can call it a regret as much because you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So it's 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 like hindsight is such a <laughs> wonderful thing. But um, so so yeah, if I if I could turn back the clock and, and say knowing what I know now, I would I would try to be more prepared. But well, well maybe I'll, I'll move on from that that too, because if, if I'm correct, um, did you have therapy in your budget for your film? Sorry? No, so I, and I may, may be getting this wrong, but, but was, was there um, sort of any sort of preparation for, for and, and I may be thinking of, of the film that you did, um, yeah. yes, for See Me Glasgow Film, Short Film Fund, but maybe that, that's, that's a way into that then. I mean, was there anything about where we are now that, that made you think um, for the subsequent film that you made that uh, you needed to be better prepared for that personal experience? Um. When I was, well, after I made and when I was making Where We Are Now, I said, I am never making a personal film again. <laughs> On the day of the premiere, I was also at the workshop of my next personal film, so that didn't go to plan. Um, yeah, I, I planned more for my next film, but again, plans just go out the window when life happens. Like, there's not really much that I could do about that. Uh, I did plan more, but it, it yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always get fun. So maybe that that's what people have to keep in mind is just just how variable the situation can be, and, and not to it's documentary you can't script it out, nor 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 should one. And Karen, Karen, how about yourself? I mean, is is there anything you have any any second thoughts about anything you would would do again, or are you sort of happy with what it did? And 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 have there been any family reactions to to what you've done that have been concerned you? Well, I did when I was, I mean, almost up until I finished the film, I had terrible dread that scenes that I had shot and used in the film would offend my family. And it was, it was you know, it haunted me. Um, but the closer I got to finishing it and premiering it, I just, I just started to do that kind of transformation that I was talking about. I started to feel certain about the decisions I'd made and strong. And I started to see the strength in my family. And I, I started to see that actually... I was saying my version of the truth and that they couldn't object to that and they wouldn't and I trusted them not to and true to form they absolutely backed every decision I made in the film including my father who was quite brutally exposed in some of the film mm -hmm. 
and um, he supported the film through its and has you and continue to do so. So I had that feeling, and then it sort of left me as I became clearer about all the decisions that I'd made and felt certain that I could justify every single one of them. I mean, I, I regret that my mum didn't survive to see the finished film, of course, but she also I also knew that at any point in the you know the project she could die. So I had to always be prepared through all the stages of it for her just to drop off the side and for us as a family to have to continue without her. And in a way, the film is just part of that. I had to just be ready for that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have any you know, regrets. And if anything, it's had such a positive impact that I wouldn't kind of be able to see them, I think. Well, that, that's a very good lead into my last question before turning it over to the audience and the floor. I mean, I feel that what, what we're seeing here, at least to some extent, is, is a, a self-administered art therapy. Um, and have you noticed, having been involved in a number of films of this sort, have, have you noticed a, a cathartic um, kind of, um, impact of these films? I mean, have you, um, if I can even put it this way, have you seen the filmmakers change through having made these films? Um, yeah, of course. I think... Um the, the biggest achievement in a way is realizing that what is very much your personal story can actually help other people and becomes um, this universal story. And it's something we also work a lot on when we're developing the project. It's the very harsh question, uh, why should people care? Teresa, why should people care about your father? Why should people care about your father, Lucy, or your, 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 um, and her transition? And it's, it sounds like a really harsh question, but it's a very important one, because I think that if you don't consider this from the beginning, then you don't necessarily have that transformation and that satisfaction in the end result. Um, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, you do see a satisfaction, you do see a transformation, which keeps going on because very often these films have a very long life, whether it's on festivals or special events, so you keep living with it and you keep feeling what it brought you. Um, yeah. Well, what, um, what I'll ask the other panelists to think about while we go to the audience is what was the best thing about the, making these films for you from a mental health standpoint? Um, so we do have a roving mic here, and we um, hope, um, I hope, that we have some questions or comments from the audience. Anyone? Yes. Hi there. Hi there, um, my name is Carl, I'm a theatre maker and I do a lot of personal stuff. I was just wondering if you could talk about being a character in your own films and how you manage that relationship of directing and also being the central focus of in some way. Great question, I'll start with you, Karen. Um, well, I, I had actually been on camera in a few of my other documentary films, so... I wasn't as uncomfortable with it as I might have been, I think. But I was in a car crash, family car crash, metaphorically speaking. So it wasn't exactly the time that a stranger could have put a camera on me and I would have welcomed it. So I think it was just actually through, through sheer volume of material. I mean, I shot, I think, about 88 days of footage for my film. So I shot every other week for more than two years. 
and I just uh, popped into the frame, put the picture, put the film on the, put the camera on a tripod, wandered about, and just started to forget I was in it really. And that's how I sort of got, um, a sort of um, cauterised myself from a kind of vanity. And then I got, of course, into an edit suite with a fantastic editor who was brutal with me. <laughs> you know, and she would just say, that's enough, Karen. You know, or, you're, or you're lying or you're hiding. She would quite often say that to me. And she would send me into the room and, and to write new voiceover because what I had produced was you know, evasive or something. Just because you're making your own story, as Laura was referring yeah. to, doesn't mean you, you can't be challenged on that and you yeah. shouldn't be challenged on that. So it's more important than ever with these kinds of films and, and maybe personal projects of all art forms to have a brilliant um, team around you that will be brutal with you. Because without that, I think you just cannot get the distance you require. And then eventually you find it's at the, it's at the end of your arm and you're treating it like it's anyone's story. And that's when it gets really good because you're reading it like a drama written by somebody else. Lucy, did you get to that point with your film or your films? Because you've been at, in at least three that I know. At least. I was in two. Um, two out of three. Oh, oh right. Because not, not for mother, father then. No, I wasn't. Right. Okay. So, but another family story. But yes. So how was it like? What was it like for you on screen as um, a character? Yeah, it was really difficult for me to start with. Um, I was concerned like during our process when we were discussing whether I should be shooting myself or whether I should uh, have a DOP and it was a really difficult decision because we knew as soon as we brought someone else into the room our relationship and the relationship with my parent would there would be tension or something would change and it wouldn't be as genuine and as truthful on camera. Um, in the end I did decide to bring a DOP in but uh, it I chose my ex-partner, so I was very comfortable with them. They'd shot me before, just like as a friend, always having their camera with them. So I think making that decision was what made it work, and we weren't super tense on camera and things, uh, because my parent also was aware of this person. So yeah, that was how we managed to get around that. It's difficult enough as it is without having a crew that is yeah. both um, understanding of what you're doing but also, as we're saying, challenging. Mm -hmm. And uh, Teresa, with, with yourself as, as a character in your film, as a shadow at times and otherwise. Yeah. Um, I think from the beginning I wanted it to be um, like from my perspective so you don't at any point, unless it's my dad holding the camera, um, see you see it from my perspective you see it through my eyes um and that was the only way that i think for me the camera has always been a way to um process things so in in going to the grave i wasn't looking through the camera i'd actually just hung it around my neck and that's that's a that's a, a different story but again this this idea of being both a director and a character in your film um i had a complete <coughs> crisis just before I had to go in and find that because I didn't want to I wanted it to be a personal moment for me and I didn't want to have to focus on I wonder whether the light is right here I wonder if I'm getting sound and I, I just completely freaked out um, but that's where it was good that I had a producer who who was somebody that was very close to me and also gave me the freedom to say well I think you need to do just what you need to do whatever that is and for I, yourself, <laughs> not necessarily for the film, I should add. <laughs> um, and, and at that point, that gave me the freedom to... I, I knew I wanted to record it for myself, so I just hung the camera around my neck, 
press play and if something came on it, you know, that was, that was great. But um, I went in on my own and, and had that moment on my own and, and I, I forgot it was on basically and it was running while I was talking to my dad at the grave and that's part of what ended up in the film after a friend said to me, you know, you need to, you need to look at that material as well. What are you avoiding there? And I was like, because I, I didn't want to look at that again. And so I ended up not using any of the other nice material I'd shot and just the, like the really ugly stuff, you know, as, as, a, as a photographer. I go, oh, it doesn't look very good. The sound's pretty bad and stuff like that. But, but that was the real raw material. So I guess it's in a constant negotiation of being the character in your own story and being able to step outside afterwards. But if I hadn't been able to just put myself completely in it, then I wouldn't have the film that I have now. So. Which again refers to what, what Cor had, had talked about, having those, those dual perspectives on the process. Um, any other comments? Oh, sorry, no, Cor, no, go if ahead. If I can just um, add um, something um, which is linked to mental health. I think um, it's very important for filmmakers to be empowered and to have control over the, their film. And very often when people hear the word documentary, they they think, oh, it's reality. So you have to stick with whatever happened. It has to be truthful, etc. When actually, um, it's a lot more than that. There's not that many difference between fiction and documentary. Um, and for the filmmaker, it's pretty much the reality as they experienced it, or as they want to process it and give it to an audience. And I think that's a very safe place to be for a, for a director, a filmmaker, to know that they have this power of rewriting the story and not making it exactly what happened to them because um, unless it's really what you want to do you you have that safe space of i'm taking i'm taking this out of the out of the picture because no one needs to know about that so of course um, i think for an audience when um, when they hear a filmmaker talk like that they're like oh but Oh, I thought that was exactly the experience that you had, um, but I think it's a very—it's uh, a way of keeping sane for for the filmmaker, and um, yeah, having that little off-screen space uh, to to yourself. So it's very much constructing things um, for your well-being and also for um, um, a more universal message to an audience. Any other comments or questions from the audience? I'm always prepared for these situations, and uh, I have heard that what I should do, yes, thank you, is just let you sit in uncomfortable silence until something comes. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, hi, I suppose the question I wanted to ask was, in regards to your mental health support, during the project, was there unexpected forms of support that you received as filmmakers, as directors from your crew, your family? Or was there advice that you could give to somebody going into this of things to put in place? Um, I'll explain a bit. I have produced films, both uh, fiction and documentary. I've worked in theatre and so on, but I'm about to start on a project supporting people to tell their personal stories. And as a producer, I really want to get right what mental health support I can give to them. So I'd like to ask the directors what worked, what is different 
to the support you get on a non-personal, though all arts projects are personal. Well, maybe I'll, I'll start with, with Lucy here. I mean, probably I got the, the, the film wrong, but, but the situation, right, is that you put things in place for your um, most recent film, Let Us Let, Let Go. Um, what advice would, would you give to, to a producer along these lines? Uh, sorry, could you reword the question? Is, is, is there anything in particular that, that you would like to, to see um, a producer set up for you, or are there particular kinds of, of support um, that, that you would be looking for in going on to make other personal projects? Um, I think some of the most important things for me were working with a crew that I could be very open with and could speak to and could say, no, go away, I'm not, I'm not doing it today, kind of thing, and be able to have the freedom to say that and not to feel obliged to film every time that you've planned to film to have the freedom to say actually no I can't do it that day uh, just because I don't feel like it and I think the the filmmaker needs to know that they have the freedom to do that. Um, in the film we were talking about I also put uh, part of the budget aside for some counselling while I was going through the film. Uh, that it was necessary I think and I'm glad that I did it, but I didn't end up continuing the counselling. Um, but having, because the film was about myself, uh, the impact that mental health was having on myself and my partner, it was good to have an outlet that wasn't to do with the film, wasn't to do with my partner, and I could just speak to, and it was totally like, they didn't know I was making a film or anything. and having that kind of outlet and not having to kind of regurgitate my feelings onto my editor or onto my partner or onto my DOP or whatever, that was, that was really useful for me. Thanks, Lucy. And, and Teresa, I, I know that you can speak to this, that, that you um, had some therapy sessions, but uh, the person that you were talking to very much knew you were making a film. Yeah. Um, well, I consciously um, looked for the therapist that I'd been talking to about my situation with my dad to speak with him again while I was making the film because I knew it would have an impact on me um, and I had therapy afterwards after I'd finished the film and um, I'm currently still in therapy um, but that's just because it, it, it brings up things that you don't expect that it would but I would also say like as a producer and you can probably um, talk about this as well that you, as a producer it will affect you as well and don't forget that um, because, <laughs> because there's so much focus on, oh, this is going to be difficult for the director, how am I supposed to do this? And I think, if anything, I think probably it was harder on you making this film than it was on me, in a way, because I was so in touch with the fact that this was going to be difficult. Um, I knew I was getting myself into something that was, that was very emotional, and I knew I needed to get support, but... I would say people around you don't necessarily know how to comfort you. My editor didn't necessarily know how to, to comfort me or what, the, what was the right thing to say, what would trigger a reaction from me. So it's really important that people who you're working with also get help or feel comfortable seeking that help and being able to talk to somebody else about, what do I do here? This person is just falling apart. Like, can I push them to this to this, this level? Or can I, can I, do I have to stand back? Do we have to, like end the project altogether. So I think it's really important that everybody just gets the support they need so that they're at a good level because you just don't know who it's going to affect and in what way. 
and, and how do you put that on a CV as a potential crew member? But uh, uh, I think it is a, it's an instinctive thing, and, and certainly as a producer, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. But I mean, I think the, the point is, or at least one of the points, is, is that you do want to be aware of the um, personal impact, not just on the filmmaker, it's the people around them, not just the people around them, the impact on the filmmaker, but also the impact of what the filmmaker is doing on those people surrounding. Karen, any comments on? Um, what what you would see as, as good advice to someone embarking on, on a project as, as this such as this as a producer? Yeah, I mean that that struck a chord with me there a lot because I, my editor was quite a young woman when she started working on our film and she hadn't had any comparable life experience to what I was going through. And um, you know, she sat and watched those hundreds and hundreds of hours of really traumatic footage. I mean, what that clip doesn't show you really is how much of a character um, my mother Anne is in the film. I'm assuming that most of you haven't seen it. And her life story um, is extraordinary, but it's been told from the prox her proximity to death as a stroke survivor um, in the film. So um, I think for Alice, I, you know, I, I probably underestimated just what that would do to her. But I think it was also a kind of mark of her appetite, really, for life and her appetite for the work that she absolutely took on. And, and she was editing, we were editing together on, on the day that my mother died and we got the call. And, you know, we just took some time out and the next day we sat down again and we just kept working. So it was an amazing sort of bond to have. But yeah, that, that was a huge, huge part of her life, really, that I took up her emotional and her, her, her professional life. But actually, when I think about some of the things that helped me the most when I was making the film, I, was, I would actually just say something quite different here, which was that I took part in a script development course abroad, um, which was very helpfully supported by Scottish Documentary Institute. But I, was, I found myself in a room with some perfect strangers on two quite intensive weeks. And in between, we had online mentoring and correspondence between us about all of our projects and for me to actually leave my kind of network of people who I knew they were supporting me because they wanted to but I also knew they were supporting me because they were working on the project and in some ways I mean this is it's kind of awkward to talk about but when people feel sorry for you and you're aware of that you can sometimes, it sometimes starts to feel like you're losing perspective on the quality of the work that you're doing because you know people are, are on a personal level rooting for you to survive. They kind of don't really care if the film works, they just want you to survive. So to go into a room of perfect strangers who look at the work in progress, however shabby it is, and say, I am really fascinated by this. This is great, this is worthwhile, you keep going. You know, that's an amazing thing for perfect strangers that owe you nothing to say to you. So maybe an alternative or rather an additional idea is to get a really brilliant group of perfect strangers who have the experience behind them to support but are also unknown to those filmmakers on a personal level or unknown to those makers on a personal level and can give them a really good kind of outside push to their confidence and a boost to their idea that what they're doing is, is really worthwhile. Now, a brilliant group of perfect strangers is a great title. I'm going to take it. <laughs> Before you you um, any other comments or, or, or questions? I've, I've got a few more, but that's an example of a great question from the audience, and I'd rather hear from you. Anyone else? Yes. 
Um, hi, uh, my name's Lee. I, I wonder if, it, let me think of my question carefully. Um, I think often great filmmakers, great artists, professions have to focus on the quality of the art and their own identity as artists. And if what, what seems unique about today is that the subject of the documentary is the parent, and do we, as judges in the, uh, in the festival or as commissioners, have even greater responsibilities to think about the ethics of consent and in this than we would normally, given the even greater potential for um, very subtly badly informed consent. And in the sense that as a parent, it must be incredibly difficult to say no to being part of something. Now, is there any need for any separation of, of uh, you know, and I think, of course, it, we know, we see from today, it makes for great film. It makes for powerful, important film that should be produced. But as funders, as, as people looking at the public's mental health and well-being, is, is this a situation which requires particular thought around consent? Or maybe the filmmakers it's of interest too. Well, I'll ask um, both um, Lucy and Karen about, about that to start. Um, Teresa's is, is a different situation, um, obviously, but uh, Karen and Lucy. Well, it's interesting because I did an in interview on Women's Hour before Christmas um, mainly about being a carer, actually, but it came up that I had obviously made the film. And um, on Twitter afterwards, there was a kind of little, little storm where somebody uh, kind of accused Women's Hour of encouraging um, carers to film vulnerable people. You know, against, not against their will, but without thinking through the ethics of consent. Which, of course, a lot of people then quashed that and said, look, you know, Karen's film has nothing to do with that. She wasn't an anonymous carer. There was rolling consent, and she checked in the whole time with... And I wanted to make sure to ask about that as well. Which That's is what, yeah. what I did do, even... Because I was, a, I was my own producer, and I had a co-producer too, and um, with all my family, but particularly my mother, obviously, because she was particularly vulnerable and she couldn't write. Um, we actually did take the same steps that we would have taken with any vulnerable person that we were filming to actually acquire that consent explicitly and repeatedly throughout the few years that we were working with her. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I didn't take a different approach because it was a family member. Um, and Lucy, what, what was your approach to consent? Uh, again, I'm, I'm referring to... to to a number of films that you've, you've made here. I mean, so you, you made um, Mother Father. Um, what was your process for that? And, and how was it asking, um, if you did in fact ask, to, to, to go, go into your, your family again with a camera? Um, so I tackled the main problem, well, problem, but the main issue of consent right at the beginning in 2013 when I first began working on the subject of my parents' relationship. And I asked for their consent in writing, and I continued to ask for their consent over the years that I've, I've worked with them. Um, with my first, with Mother Father, um, both of my parents were a little bit dubious to start with because uh, my parent wasn't uh, completely out to the whole family, and so. Um, and there's still a couple of family members she's not out to. And uh, my mum hadn't spoken about this in, well, to anyone for 34 years, it was a secret. So 
So she was very, very worried about what would happen. Um, but in the end, they both gave their consent and they were both very happy that the project went ahead. And my mum especially found it incredibly cathartic to be able to, to speak about everything. Um, and then for where we are now, um, I asked my mother's opinion. I didn't need to have her consent, but I wanted her to know I was making it. And she thought that it was a good idea for mine and my parents' relationship as well. And my parent was more than happy to consent as well because uh, the last film ended on my parents. So when my parent is, is transitioning, um, it's been a very long process and in the film Mother Father, my parent was still using male pronouns and the word father. And so then later after that film was made, she decided to transition and she decided to use female pronouns all the time. And so she was happy that a film, another film could be made to show how that that wasn't the end of the story. And I felt I had the duty to show that that wasn't the end of the story and that, um, yeah, she is, and we are now where we are now. Oh God, that's awful. Well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's, I mean, Karen, I mean, you want to pitch your DVD, you can't do better than that, that's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, Teresa, and, and this is not just me trying to use up the, the time so I don't have to answer Lee's question myself, but I will, will um, offer something in that regard. But um, Teresa, I, I know that an issue that came up with you is, was an, as an assumption of, oh, can, for, can you leave the room please, the Scottish <laughs> Documentary Institute represented, um, an assumption of, of the right to use the material because you're the daughter, but did you actually have, have that consent? Well, I think, I mean, obviously I can't ask my father if he wants to be in the film because he was no longer there. Um, and I guess, I mean, that's a whole different um, you know, kind of worms to open up and like, so, so when people have passed away, what, how do you get their consent and is it even ethical to make a film about somebody who's no longer here? Um, I, I guess, I mean, then you can also start talking about, well, because I'm the director, I don't necessar necessarily know what's good for me. So, so do I have to ask myself throughout the whole film, um, is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Um, I mean, consent is a really difficult thing. It's really straightforward if you are asking somebody to sign a piece of paper and say, right, this is, yeah, I give my consent to, to whatever. But it's when it becomes, as you're saying, with family, it becomes more difficult to answer that question. But it also becomes really difficult for yourself because you have to ask yourself that ethical question, um, whether this is something that you should go ahead with um, for your own mental health um, in, that, in that case. Um, and I think it's just... I mean, some stories are just important to, to have told, and I think, for me, I just thought, well, this might help somebody else, and he's not here to, to say yes or no, so um, I, I have to decide whether this, this could help me and whether it could help other people, and I decided to go ahead with it. My um, mother, who is not in the film, um, finds it difficult sometimes that a lot of people get to see it, um, she, I mean, nobody could identify her from, from being in the film. Um, nobody could identify her from name, really. Um, but she finds that difficult. And should I not have gone ahead and made it? Um, I think I should. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult discussion, but it's also something that we shouldn't only ask the people who are in the film, but also as directors should ask ourselves. 
very, very important point. And um, for, and we'll, we'll have to wrap it up in just a moment, but um, for when it comes to um, issues of consent, um, what do you, and I'm asking myself the same question, but I'm giving you the question first so I have more time. Um, what um, do you look for when it comes to consent in, in these, these situations? Is it just the paperwork or is it more than that? Um, well, I think to start with, I need to say that all the films here are creative documentary. Um, films for the big screens, which are meant to be distributed in film festival and cinemas, and are very different to factual television. Um, so it means that you always have um, the option to decide not to include the person. <laughs> um, I think as a producer it's my duty whenever I get funding for a film to make sure that the funders realize that they're giving funding for a film but a very different film might be made in the end because I, as a producer I don't want the filmmaker to be trapped in this and for them to be forced to include footage or a character they don't want to include. So that's very important I think to, to say. Creative documentary offers the possibility of mm, making a, a slightly different film and not going down the tabloid route and also if um, your character assign a release form but after watching the film decides that they no longer want to be in it uh, to be able to say, well, I'm just going to take them out, which very often when you're working for television, it's not an option because when someone has signed a release form and um, they have to be included if the commissioning editor wants them to be included. I can tell you horror stories along those lines. Uh, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, in terms of consent, um, we are very clear with uh, the filmmakers who go through Bridging the Gap that we need, um, we need a release form signed. Um, we have chats with them on when is the best time to discuss this, because depending on the project, sometimes it's at the beginning, sometimes the middle. <laughs> um, and we also, um, we also discuss it a lot with the filmmaker. I remember having this chat we had with Teresa about her father and how she was going to portray her father, and it was very much, okay, you can live with this portrait now. It was during the workshops, the development workshop, but will you in a few years and and also will portraying your dad in under this light make the film universal and not just your own therapy because <laughs> that's something filmmakers can't do is having their own little therapy on the back of an audience but it very rarely happens because you go through through so much and um yeah and i think throughout the process we're very vigilant about about that but there is um, something, very briefly, um, the question of whether you should show um, the film to um, your contributors and at which stage and should there be any editorial control from them. Um, it depends, it varies with each film. I think our role as well is whenever the filmmakers are trying to censor themselves and we know that it's not necessary. So I'm just going to take um, the example of a short film where uh, we, produ we produced and um, it was um, about a scientist and the scientist had two kids and there was a scene in the film where the two kids were playing and their father had a rather harsh comment about, <laughs> about his son uh, without really noticing it. So the filmmaker went along with it, thought it was a very strong, um, strong moment and then just before showing the film to the contributors had a panic moment thinking, oh, oh my God, what have I done? And actually, 
the contributor didn't even notice because that's the way he is with his kids and his wife didn't even notice because she's used to and I think if we hadn't been there to say no no show them the film, keep those scene in, show them the film. And actually what this scene does is that it shows the character as not just a scientist but a human being with their own failures and their own problems and make him much more likable, although it's not obvious. But um, So yeah, that's the other thing is uh, it's important to show the film to your character and get that consent when you show it. So consent is much more than just a piece of paper. It is way more than that. And when it comes from the, the perspective of, of uh, a film festival curator, I mean, there's a lot of trust that is involved in that, I mean, we just don't have the capacity to ask for all the paperwork for every single film, but we do um, say when it comes to submissions, um, by submitting your, your film, you are, whether or not this, this protects us legally right across the board, but by submitting your film, you are essentially warranting that you have the permissions that are necessary to, to show the film. Um, just extremely quickly, um, I said that I would ask, what's the best thing, of the filmmakers, what's the best thing, mental health-wise, that came out of the experience? So, Teresa, and I'll work across to Karen. In 25 words or less. <laughs> um, I think the best thing for me was that I probably wouldn't have found out what happened to my dad had I not made this film. Um, and I'm very glad I did. It's, it's, it's been difficult, obviously, um, to, to make that film, but um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Lucy. Um, I'm really sorry, I have two. One, it made, uh, it massively improved my relationship with my parent uh, and my sister's relationship with my parent. Mm. And two, um, I spoil, spoil, can't speak. I also come out in my film, and I hadn't really come out before that. So, yeah, that was massively beneficial on my mental health. So. Karen, top that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that it's broken the cycle in our family of kind of not talking about stuff and burying stuff in the next generation. So, my sister's kids are in my film and we're now much closer than we ever were. And because we talk about the film, we share it as a family all the time. We share every nuance of it. It's meant that we now talk more, and so therefore we're talking about our feelings more. And I feel like that younger generation get the best of their elders from, in a way, being part of the film. They've understood what went wrong in, that, in those relationships and where it came from. And in a way, they're now not, well, hopefully, not going to make the same mistakes again. So that's just... A kind of beautiful thing to watch. Can I, can I have a quick? Yes. Um, just obviously, it was really good for me. But as you say, it encourages conversation. And one of the things that I found, just both in group therapy I've been in, but also by showing the film, is that a lot of people come and talk to you afterwards and say that really meant something to me because my dad's an alcoholic, or um, it reminds me of my relationship with my mother, or um, so people start talking um, and I think that's obviously a huge gift to me that it's not just a personal therapeutic experience but it changes other people's lives whether that's within your own family circle or it reaches out to other people and can't be better than that. I guess. Could I ask for a better endorsement of what <laughs> the Mental Health Foundation's um, arts work uh, can mean? Um, thank you uh, very much to, to the audience for, for being here and for your, your comments and, and questions. Um, thanks for, for your insights, which I think were um, invaluable in the, this context, and, and also, of course, to Teresa, Lucy, and Karen for, for their, their brave and inspiring work.